Well, amen. Good morning, Harvest. Hope you guys have had a, a great week, and it sounds like uh, by watching the video that you did. I'm so excited to hear how God is using you uh, for his mission and for his gospel. And as a side note, if you guys want to know why Matt has a crutch, I think there's evidence in the video. Yeah. So um, also to your elders and to your, to your pastoral staff, uh, thank you guys. I'm grateful for the trust. I don't take it lightly to be able to come to this place to share God's word with you guys this morning. So we're going to jump, with that being said, we're going to jump right into it. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. If you need a Bible, just go ahead and put your hand in the air, and we'll love to get one in your hand so you guys can follow along with us this morning. Nice and tall in the air if you need one, all right? Um, but you're going to see the word on the screen, continue. And that's going to be kind of our theme word this morning, and I know it's kind of weird to talk about theme words, but, but you're going to hear this word come up time and time again in, in this text. But I started thinking about continuing, and really continuing is, is, is sometimes some of the hardest things to do in life. Continuing is one of the hardest things to do, but continuing after the, the death of a loved one or continuing uh, in a relationship that you love so much but you know is unhealthy, continuing parenting after a complete meltdown, whether by you or by the child. Um, I'm a parent of three, so I understand that more than you know. Uh, continuing um, after life storms, continuing in, in the face of, of opposition, continuing in what you know is right, what everyone else says is, is wrong or otherwise, continuing in, in your struggling faith, continuing after a failure, continuing even after the most perfect victory, continuing is hard to do. But continuing is one of the things we as believers have to do and we must do. Now, we're not going to read all of chapter 3 this morning because uh, it can get kind of lengthy. But, but I want you to just, the beginning part of chapter 3, 1, 1 through 9, I'm not going to read it. But really, it's, it's Paul saying this. It's Paul talking to Timothy and saying, watch out, the last days are evil. And the last days are, are terrible, and people will do, and they're going to speak, and they're going to act completely opposite of what they say they believe and what they say they hold on to. And Paul continues in with Timothy and telling him how there already have been examples of evil, and we are to avoid such people. And so that's the, kind of the setup of chapter 3 here, and we can see that, that Paul's passion for Timothy to, to truly understand this, there must be a separation between the godly and the godlessness. And that's in his own personal life, and that's in the, the culture. So we're going to read this text together. We're going to pray, and then we're going to just dive right in. So chapter, uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 10, says this. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, and Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet for them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing that from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And all spirit is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Father God, we, we love you and we don't take this time lightly as we get to open your word and sit under your word. God, I just pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the beauty of Christ in it all. Let it not point to, to us. Let it point back to you, God, for this is why we sit under this word. 
God, I pray that for those who are wrestling with some of the topics we'll be talking about today, God, for someone who's wrestling with, with this word, God, I just pray that you would just, just open our hearts, open our minds, God. Let us, let us see your glory today, God. For those who are maybe in this room who have not yet followed through in, in salvation in you, God, I just pray that you would call them to yourself this morning, that they would see and they would hear, they would respond, they would know you. God, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, chapter 3. Paul has just written to Timothy about the tragedy of godlessness, and now he's going to redirect Timothy. He's, gonna, he's going to, to uh, redirect Timothy, and Timothy has seen what Paul has endured. Timothy has walked with Paul. Tim, Timothy has seen what Paul has endured, and he hasn't swayed from God, but actually dove deeper into the gospel and who God is. Now, we see Timothy saw the example of Paul instruction from the scriptures, but also Timothy saw the instruction of Paul through Paul's life. And how he navigated godlessness that was happening to him to come. And this is how we need to continue living the godly life, church. This is how we need to continue on living what God has called his people to. Now, here's the first thing we need to know. A true life in Christ proves itself. A true life in Christ proves itself. It proved in in Paul's life and it proved in the disciples' lives and, and it must prove in you. It has to prove in us. Now, now, Paul's teaching was gospel teaching, right? We look at what he says here. Look, you followed my teaching. You followed my conduct. You followed my, my aim in life, my faith, my patience. And we start looking at this going like, wow, Paul's pretty cocky, isn't he? He keeps on saying about himself, about my, 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 my. But we see this. Paul's teaching was gospel teaching. His aim in life was to show obedience to Christ. And Timothy was, obviously we know, was, was Paul's pupil and and. As Timothy is following Paul, we see all these things. And here's the reality before we kind of jump in this. We all follow somebody. Who we follow and, and how we follow is, a, is an indicator of our hearts. Do the people we follow spur us on to godlessness or godliness? Do the things that we put into our ears, our minds, our lives spur us on to godlessness or godliness. Now, I don't say that in jest. I actually say that as, a, as an introspective truth that we have to wrestle with. I say that because we need to ask the question, that am I, am or what, that I'm following? Is it hurting me or helping me in my walk with Christ? Now, immediately when I say these things, I guarantee there's things popping in your mind. You'll be like, yeah, I know that. I know that's like, like you know, whatever, whatever Netflix show that I'm binging at the moment. I know that's not but it's, I mean, like, what else am I going to watch? Simple things that we know are, are pulling our hearts, our minds, everything towards godlessness, not towards godliness. We have to put them away. And I, look, I don't say that as holier than thou. I say that as the truth of wrestling with my own heart. But, you know, here's, here's the reality, right? Uh, to, uh, I'm from the American South, all right? So if you hear the twang, I'm sorry, all right? But, uh, um, Here's the thing. Too many of us, honestly, are okay playing in the devil's pudding. We get filthy, and then we quickly hop in the shower, hoping that no one's going to notice. But what happens? We miss some behind the ear. We ignored mom's instructions to wash behind her ears because we thought that she was making stuff up. But there's stuff behind the ear. And then we get embarrassed because someone noticed it and told us about it. Then we get mad. Then we say that they're judging, and then suddenly they are your enemy because they're calling you to holiness. Right? Then you try to spin your wickedness onto them because 
you say they are not being graceful in your life. When all the while they are being graceful, we just have a hardened heart to our godlessness and we, we want it. You know, this is, that, that's the reality of this. Like, we, we are taught that. We, we are taught to have these mentalities. Like, we are taught to play the victim. We are taught to deflect when tra- someone tries to show us our faults. And we're going to kind of see that here in the back end of, of this passage here. But, but that, that's our culture, right? Our culture has said deflect or, or play the victim or be the offended one, and somehow you'll get out of whatever you've been called to. And, and that's just, that, that's the problem. We're taught to deflect that, and that's our culture. And we need to quit playing with the culture and follow people like Paul, who are saying, look at me. And understand, he's not saying, look at me for his own sake. He's saying, look at me because I am pointing you to Jesus. And Paul's saying, my holiness is not my own. My holiness is Christ's. My death to myself is not my own. It's to Christ. Everything I'm pointing you to is to Christ. It's not about me. It's, look, Paul was saying it's, his teaching is gospel teaching. His conduct is gospel conduct. His aim in life is to point people towards Jesus. His faith is all about Christ and rooted in Christ. His, his patience and all these things come out of his love and compassion. Because he is seeking out Christ. Paul's like, Paul's like, look, you, you want proof that I'll, that I'll point you to Jesus? Look at everything I've done. Everything I've done points you to Jesus. Even on the brink of death, the Lord is still with me in persecution. I've almost died and Jesus is still good. Amen? And so we, we look at this and Paul, Paul's just indicating the Lord has delivered him time and time again. And, and he was not killed, but he suffered in the midst of everything to be able to carry on to other people, to share the gospel. Everything we know about Paul, we know points to Jesus. And, and look, right here, we can read that, and we can, we can know every attribute that Paul has. And the reality is, he says, here they are, do them too. Here they are, develop them too. Here they are, find them rooted in Jesus. He's talking about verse 11, he says, look, even my persecutions and my sufferings, they happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lister. Look, which they, I have endured, yet for them, look, the Lord rescued me. The Lord rescued me. Verse 12. Look, verse 12, if this doesn't make you pause when you read this, um, you need to read it again. All right? Uh, there's a pastor that I love to listen to. His name's J.D. Greer. Um, and, and he always says Christianity makes a terrible hobby. And so we know that that makes a terrible hobby. Oops, sorry. Things are blowing up. All right, there you go. And so verse 12 says this, indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Indeed, all who live or strive to live a godly life will be. Everybody who strives to live a godly life will be. Not might be, not can be, not should be, but will be. You will be persecuted. But before we do this, we understand that it's not natural to want this. I understand that, right? You look at that, you read that, and you're like... Come on, Andy. Really? Am I like I will be persecuted? Like I live in North America, man. Look, it's not natural to want it. In fact, it goes against every bodily instinct you have because the way that your body is wired, our bodies and our minds always seek the easiest path. Right? Your GPS, for crying out loud, seeks the easiest path. Sometimes it takes you through the backwoods of Route 20 to get you here, but it'll get you here. Our minds, our bodies do the easiest path, and for us to say, like, you know what, like, do I want persecution? No. But it says, if you live a godly life in Christ, you will suffer persecution. But in order to get through that, 
Second thing here is the godly life must be centered on Christ. You will not get through persecution if your life is centered on anything other than Jesus. You will not follow in what Christ has called you if your life is not centered on Jesus. An actual Christian life will cost you something. For some of you, it'll cost you more than others. If you choose to live a godly life, that means you care about what God cares about. You speak for what God desires, and you speak against all forms of evil. Look, it means, that, it means you're going to have to come to terms with that you might not be everything that you hoped you would be because you want to become what Jesus intends for you to be. Right? And, and that's hard for me to grapple with because I had ambitions of being a rock star growing up. And that almost came true when I had more hair, all right? But that almost came true. And the reality is when you're sitting at that table going, this, my dream's about to happen, you feel it in the gnawingness of your heart saying, this is not what I've called you to. This is not what I've intended for you. This is not what I have for you. That's where you have to begin to look at your own heart and saying, I know I want this, and this is what I desire, and this is what I want, but you know what? God's calling me to something else, and sometimes we have to say no to what we want to become what Jesus has intended for us. And I know that's hard to wrap our heads around, but that's just the truth. And, you know, we, we look at things like persecution, but, but, you know, as some men have been famously said in the past several months, that if you oppose, fill in the blank, whatever cultural issue it is, if you oppose this, you will be on the wrong side of history. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, who's quoted that. And we need to remember that maybe in the textbooks we'll be on the wrong side of history, but never, never, never will be on the wrong side of God's history. And I think we have to remember that because you living a godly life is worth everything in contrast to what is to come. You living a godly life is worth everything in contrast to what is to come. Now, now I'm a student pastor, and I know Matt's going to resonate when I say this. Students, the quicker you get this, the better off you will be in your walk with Jesus. The, the better you realize that all the junk that the culture is shoving down your throat is not going to sustain you, only Jesus will. The faster you understand that, the better off your spiritual life will be. Will it be perfect? No. Will it be hard? Yes. Will you have bad days? Absolutely. But it'll be worth it. And so we understand this. I say that to students, but like, Everyone in this room, that applies to all of us. And this is, that's just the, the reality of what we come to. You living a godly life is worth everything in contrast to what is to come. Now, why do I believe that? Because that passage tells me that a godly life will cost us something, but it's only going to get worse. I know uh, when, I, when I first came up here from, from the U.S., uh, Daryl, he's the obvious senior pastor at Niagara, he was saying, you know, culturally, America is 10 years behind Canada on policy and whatever else. And I've come to realize that looking at American political system now, that's no longer the case, and I think we're right on the heels. And, and I look at this because, like, the culture is getting worse. The culture itself is getting worse, and, and it, but honestly, we, we realize that it has to get worse. And, but here's the thing. Like, we, we know the culture is bad. We understand the culture has to get worse, but then we're shocked at when it gets worse. But yet we've opened our homes to these things. We have opened our, our minds and our, 
televisions and our computer screens and our smartphones to these things. We, we sit there and we wonder why the, why the enemy is, is just lambasting the Christian church, but yet we look at how easily we've allowed the enemy to come in. Now, I'm not saying those things are evil or bad or any of those things. What I'm saying is when we begin to just accept these things little by little, they begin to become normal place in our lives. And, and then we begin to see the persecution We're like, oh man, that's terrible. That, that's so awful. And we act shocked. This is our world and culture. It's made clear that this is going to be the case. Like, we know throughout the, the entirety of the Gospels, this is, going to, this is going to be made the case. Like, we've all looked down the line. We've all stood on the tracks and looked down the, the train tracks, and we said, like, man, like, one day when that, that train, that problem, that issue, that cultural shift, when that train gets to my station, man, it's going to be bad for the next generation. It's going to be bad for them. We stand on the train, but what happens when we realize that the train is actually in our station now, and we go, oh, no, I'm not prepared. Like we, we sit there and we're like, I, I don't know, I don't know what, what to do. And then, and then we realize that, that that train is in our station. And we realize that these cultural things are happening to us. And these persecutions are going to happen to us. And we're going, God, why me? And we realize, like, it's not about you. It's about God's glory. And Paul's going, look at me. Look at my life, my teaching, my aim. Look at everything. It's going to point you to Jesus. And yeah, that train's going to be in your station. But you have everything you need with the, the Spirit of God living within me and in you to take these things on. Now, we sit there, and, and here's the good news. We don't live this life on our own. We live this life in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, not on your own, not on your own power, not on your own merits, not on what you think you can do, right? On in Christ Jesus. You live that life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Now, my brother-in-law is a uh, missionary for it's called the Journeyman Program. It's the International Mission Board, part of the Southern Baptist Convention in the U.S. Sorry. He's a missionary in, in, in South Asia right now. I'm not allowed to say where, but he is. And the reality is this. These persecutions that we go look over there, they're going, oh, wow, that's terrible. Or these things that we watch in the news going, man, he's in the midst, in the life, living alongside people who've taken and been beaten with a rod and taken alongside of being cast out of their families and, and we think that someone rubbing us the wrong way or giving us a bad look or telling us that, that we're believing in fairy tales, we get so offended by those things. But church, are we, are we prepared for these things? How do we continue in the life of Christ knowing that these things are, are coming? See, Jesus even said in, in John 15, look, if they persecute me, they will also persecute you. And, and if we face no persecution, I'm probably gonna get like an email from someone, I'm not even a member of the church, right? If we face no persecution in our lives at all, zero zilch, I'm led to believe that we may not be living the lives of the fullest that we know that we ought and that we should. If you personally have zero interaction with people who are pushing back on you, are you really truly speaking to the culture of what we should be? Now, I'm not saying go do something crazy. I'm not, like, I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is like, man, what does our daily life, what does our actual life look like? Because here's the thing, uh, we don't go trying to make enemies, but if you live a holy life, enemies seem to show up at your door. And people are opposed to holiness. And here's the problem, church. Sometimes those people opposed to holiness are even the people that sit next to you in the same church. And they wouldn't necessarily say that to your face, but everything in their lives and their actions and what they do say that. There are far too many people who claim Christ without understanding this. And when it happens, they, they, they get this look of shock, like, mm -mm, didn't sign up for that. And that's the beginning of this, Right? And this is where I have to go on this tangent and begin to say this. Like, the end goal of God is, is not your happiness. 
The end goal of God is not to make you rich or prosperous or, or wealthy. The end goal of God isn't to take away your, your diseases. The end goal of God is not you. The end goal of God is his own glory. The end goal of God is himself. And we need to understand that. Because, well, can those things happen? Can God heal diseases? Absolutely. Can God make you prosperous? Sure. Can God do whatever? Yes, absolutely. But perhaps Paul is saying that if you follow Jesus, that's not going to be the norm. For many believers, that is not the norm. And Paul's saying that, that if you follow Jesus, that's not the norm. And in fact, often those who believe and have a life dedicated to true Christian values and living We'll have to face suffering, we'll have to face endure hardship, be mocked, ridiculed, called narrow-minded, called irrelevant, not with the times, whatever you want to call it. But we do it because we know there's so much more to this life than the life in the world. We know that there's so much more with life in Christ than there is with life in the world. We know there's so much more with Jesus than the world's going to offer you. And we wonder why persecutions happen. Well, it's clear as day all throughout the writings and the scriptures that they're going to happen to God's people. And I'm not trying to say that to scare you. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's a point of reality. I'm not sitting there like as a doom and gloom guy. I, I love Jesus, and I'm, I'm like, you can probably talk to Ken. I'm very sarcastic, all right? But here's the problem, is that sometimes we take our own personalities, and we begin to say, like, hey, like, that's just who I am. That's how I am. And we begin to, to shift those towards the culture, so, and not towards Christ. And those things begin to get the worst of us sometimes. And, and here's, the, here's the question for that, then. What does it look like to suffer in Christendom? What does it look like to suffer in this, in this culture? How do we continue on together if this is the reality that we're going to be faced with? One commentator says this, persecution may vary in degree and take different forms in different countries and in different times, but the basics of hostility of the world to the godly man remains unchanged. I believe that this culture is greatly at work in this area as the enemy. He's giving Here's the reality. The, the, the enemy is giving temporary comforts to the church while we gladly accept being able to have a functional life with little gospel demand. This isn't to say that the gospel doesn't demand much. What I'm saying is that we have come to believe that sitting in a service and possibly even small group every once in a while is the total expectation of God in our lives and that's nothing further from the truth. While parts of the world are getting beaten and, and, and having to hide, we see it as a headline, say it's glad they're not there, but the war is here. And, and, and the, the, while the church of the world is actually strengthening, if you look at the world internationally where there's high persecution, the, the church is strong. But here's the reality of that too. Uh, North America is becoming the epitome of what Paul has previously discussed in chapter, uh, in chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. We're becoming those people. We're becoming that very thing. And, and the, the church in North America now, in many ways, is, has been seen as the, the lifeline of your social atmosphere, has been seen as the, the lifeline of, of these things, and as a force against the enemy, because North America, for the past 50 years, has been the strongest missionary sending organization of the world. But yet, even that is waning quickly. I once heard a, a story of a Chinese missionary who, who actually came t- from China to America to proselytize. He came from China to America to share the gospel in New York City. And when the pastor took him back to the airport, he said, he said like, what, what, what do we want to do here? He says this, I've come to enjoy my time in America, but I've come to realize one thing, that the Chinese church is flourishing in their persecution, and the North American church is suffering in your prosperity. And so that's, that's not me. That's, that's a quote from there. And we've been blessed with this. 
this relative simplicity of that the godly life must be centered on Christ. And you're like, why are you talking about persecution with this point? Because, church, if the persecution comes and your life is not centered on Christ, guess what? You cannot continue fighting the good fight. You cannot continue to, to do the things that Paul is pointing us to. And with that being said, Paul shifts his entire letter now. Paul says, while evil people and postures, they go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is how it's going to be. Look at verse 14 with me. It says this, but as for you. But as for you, right? But as for you, knowing there is hope, we're not alone, right? Look, if you highlight, underline your Bible, look, continue. Right there, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. And he says, knowing from who you've learned it. Now, we can see this too. Uh, here's, here's, write this down. Um, Paul tells Timothy to continue by doing two things. He says, continue by remembering the past. This will be the next slide, guys. Uh, to continue the past and focusing on the scriptures. He says, how do you continue in the Christian life? These are the two things that you do. You're like, wait a minute, you're just talking about doing, Paul saying my aim and everything else. Yes, but Paul eventually has pointed to these two things. He's saying continue by remembering the past. Where has God brought you from? What has he brought you through? And what has he brought you to? Remembering the past. And then what is he pointing you to? He's telling you to focus now on the scriptures. Now here's the thing with continuing. Um, it means we've already been doing something. If you haven't been doing it, it's called starting. All right? And so too many of us know that, that we're to be doing what we're to, to continue in things, but we struggle to continue in it. See, one thing like for, for me, and this is kind of my life, right? You'll notice with personal trainers now is that they've completely ditched the fad diet stuff. I could start naming some, but I might offend a few people in the room, right? But they've start, stopped ditching the fad diet thing because here's the thing. It's sustainable and produces results very quickly for a very short amount of time. But the moment that you get off that regimen or that diet or whatever it is, things like weight comes back, your body feels different, all these different things. They're, they, you get energized for the moment and they produce quick results, but they're not sustainable. So now trainers are actually teaching people to take their lives, to take their, their actual habits and create them into sustainable ways for health. That's the new trend now. But this is what we do for our spiritual lives. We get on the, the, the popular Bible study or we get on this, this kick for, for what, whatever we think is going on, the, the new biblical trend or, or how do we do this, and then we, we might gain in spirituality for a little bit, but the moment that that ends, uh, we don't know how to do it ourselves because we've been told in, like, all these things the entire time. You've not been taught to do it. You've been told to do it. And so what happens is this. Your spiritual life burns out and it goes away. And then you wonder, like, God, where are you at? God, I don't hear from you anymore. God, where, where have you been my entire Like, what's going on here? And so we have to look at these things. We need to find a way to commune with God, and that's by remembering what he's brought us through and focusing on the scriptures. Those two things combined. There's no magical way to understand God outside of diving in deeper into his word. There's no magical way. If you don't know the word of God, if you don't handle the word of God, you can't hear from God himself. This is the way, the method that God has chosen to get his message to his people. And so sometimes we put it off for so long that we don't know where to start or we start getting discouraged and when we lack endurance. And so, if that's you, here's, if you're struggling, continue in what you've learned. If that is you, if you are struggling to continue in what you have 
learned. Here's three things to help. I like application points. They're usually helpful. Here's the first thing. And it might brush them you the wrong way, but it's okay. Make it mechanical until it becomes natural. If you are struggling to continue in what you've learned, if you are struggling to continue in being in the word, make it mechanical until it becomes natural. It's an easy step. What does that mean? That means take five minutes a day and do it. It means five minutes a day and do it. It means take a time out of your day every day and do what you know you need to be doing. What does this do? This creates into you a habit and a pattern. And from there you can grow. Now, now hear me this. If you've not been in the word, if you've not been living the Christian life, understand this. Here's the second thing. It's going to take time. It's going to take time. No, it's going to take time. You're not going to walk out of here understanding the word of God via osmosis, just holding it to your head, going like, that's fantastic. It's not going to happen. Okay? And so if, you, if you're not in the word at all, if you're not living a Christian life at all, you need to start somewhere. And trying to shoot for the moon is a good place, but usually it becomes the fad diet thing. You get there and then you pit her off pretty quickly. You want things that are sustainable, so start small and gain on time. And here's the last thing. Ask God for endurance. Ask God to reveal himself to you. Ask God to show himself to you. Ask God to give you the, struggle, the, the power in the struggle to endure in the ways that he has for you. Know this. Know these things. If you're struggling to continue what you've learned, little steps at a time. If you've ever seen the movie, What About Bob? Baby steps down the stairs. All right? Make it mechanical until it becomes natural. Know it's going to take time and ask God for endurance. Now, verse 15, track with me here. Verse 15, it says this, and know from childhood that you have learned and have been acquainted with the sacred rights which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, this tells me directly that there is a benefit, young ones in the room. There is a benefit to growing up in the church and understanding doctrines and scripture from a young age. There is a benefit. Actually, studies I forget, they're probably antiquated and old now, but they actually said that, uh, that a student or a child, if they don't hear the gospel before age 10, the chances of them receiving that gospel drop by 50%. Now, this is why we want to put our children in the path and in the presence of godly people. And hopefully, parents, you are that godly person for your child. And that's just the truth. If you've grown up in a Christian home, be thankful. But here's the, here's the thing. Don't be presumptuous. Just because you've grown up in a Christian church and because you've gone to church your entire life, you were not born a Christian. And in fact, if you, uh, if you say you're born a Christian, um, the Bible actually says we are all born depraved and wicked and sinful and all those fun words you can throw out there. Uh, so know this. Just because you sit in a pew and hold a Bible and pray a prayer at dinner does not mean you're a believer in Jesus. I know that's kind of hard to wrap our minds around because in the culture sometimes that's what we've been taught, that if you just do these different attributes and somehow your spirituality is thriving, that's not true. If Jesus is not in your heart, if you've not confessed and believed in him, Romans 10, if you've not followed through, confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart, if you've not done that, guess what? You can do all the Christian montage things you want and it's not going to be enough. Because then we start saying, well, I'm a Christian because I pray, and I'm a Christian because I sing, and I'm a Christian before I, because I read the Bible, and I'm a Christian because I do these things. But yet, if Jesus is not rooted in the center, it is all for nothing. And so we need to understand that. Growing up Christian does not make you Christian, okay? Now, 
the Bible teaches us that, that we are to, to make, that the, the Bible makes us wise towards salvation, verse 15, like it shapes our, our beliefs, it shapes our doctrines, it shapes our conduct, everything. It changes our hearts and it changes our minds towards him. Now, we begin to walk through some of this text and we see verse 16, and I'm kind of going to cruise through this now. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now, all scriptures, I'm not gonna, I actually cut some slides here because I'm not going to be walking through all this stuff, but the Old Testament, church, I need you to hear this, is intricately linked with the New Testament, okay? It is not unhitched from it. It is still relevant to you and to me. Just because famous commentators are saying that the Old Testament doesn't matter to you anymore, doesn't make them right. The Old Testament anticipates Christ. The New Testament proves Christ. If we look at proving without anticipation, we miss the glory of God's story. And so understand that. So here's the thing that we believe about the scriptures. We believe these things about the scriptures. How do, how do you continue to do a godly life by knowing the scriptures, right? Here's what we believe about them, right? That they are God-breathed. So, they are God-breathed. This, this word in, in the, the Greek is actually theopneustos, right? It's a fun word. So when you see all scriptures God-breathed, everyone do this. Ready? Breathe in. Breathe out. That's theopneustos. Literally, God's inhaling and exhaling. Now, if you don't read that passage with a new lens, if you didn't know that, there's something wrong with you, all right? Because when you say that all scripture is God-breathed, it's saying all scripture is of God, which if you know that is lifeblood, because try holding your breath for 15 minutes and see what happens to you. This is the lifeblood of God to his, his people. So all scripture is God-breathed. It's the Theopneustos, and, and the text is graphe. So all the writings, all the text, all the, the, the graphe is text and theopneustos. The graphe, the literal writing of the words is the of God. Now, why do we say that? Because the scriptures are profitable for all these different things that are listed. And it's hard to say they're profitable for these things, not our opinions. Because we have a tendency to take the word of God and start beating people in the head with our opinion and not actually with what the scriptures say. Now, that's the whole thing here. We also believe that the scriptures are what? Inerrant and infallible, okay? That they are incapable of being wrong and wholly useful and true. We believe these things about the scriptures. And we continue our lives in Christ because of these scriptures. The moment that the scriptures are proven wrong or taken wrong, guess what? That's it. So we know that the scriptures are God-breathed. We also know that the scriptures are sufficient for life. The scriptures allow us to see ourselves in light of the cross. It shows us that what we have been doing well and where we should continue in doing well. And it shows us where we've been veering off and where we need course correction. There's a guy named Ken Sandy. He wrote this. He said, in the core of Paul's letters, when correction must be given, he always keeps Jesus at the center of both instruction and correction. And that's important because we know it's sufficient for life. The scriptures equip us. 
The scriptures make us ready for the task at hand. The scriptures allow us to see the word of God and the, the presence of God. The scriptures allow us to see all these different things. This the scriptures that shows us the path of God while we're trying to be made into his likeness. It's showing us all these things and showing us how to continue. It's saying it's sufficient for life. And Paul is saying, Timothy, look at the word of God that you hold so rightly. It is sufficient for life. It is making you continue in walking in Christ's likeness. It is allowing you to see the glory of Jesus. Now, church, there's a problem because so many of us, we become biblically illiterate. We don't pick up the word of God, but we expect to hear from God himself. I just want to encourage you to, to pick it up, to read it. Start in the book of John, start in the book of Romans, just pick it up and read it. You will hear from God in such a way that'll make you jump for joy. You will hear from God in such a way that'll make you turn to him. You will hear from him and he will show you your sin before you, but he'll also show you his gloriousness. He will show you that you are not to be stomped on and left in the dirt. He will show you how he picks you up from the muck and the mire. He brushes you off. He gives you something new, a new body, a new heart, a new life, transformed by him and by him alone. And he will show you how glorious he truly is. He doesn't leave you on your own. And I think it's a shame when people stand behind a pulpit and leave you feeling like you've been kicked. No, sometimes you might feel kicked. There's okay with that, but don't leave you feeling in that state. And we go with this and we say, what is the last thing that the scriptures show us? They also show us this. In order to continue on, they have to be our focus. The scriptures must be our focus. Now, Tim, Paul is writing specifically to Timothy in, in verse 17, but, but we as church leaders have to take this very seriously and to heart as Paul is writing to another church leader, right? We have to hold it tightly. We, we have to follow this, but this is our example from, from Paul to Timothy, for church leaders in particular, but there is room for every believer to understand what Paul is saying. We must have a healthy word for the, a healthy thirst for the word because it does so much for spiritual lives. This is how we continue. This is how we know what's coming down the pike. This is how we know what God is saying to his people. This is how we know of his glorious resurrection. This is how we know that he's taken the sin of the entire world. This is how we know that he is returning again. This is how we know that we are not alone. This is how we know that we have hope. This is how we know that we together are supposed to be one body for one purpose. This is how we know. The word of God is forming us by the power of the spirit that we would be competent and ready to do the will of God. I want to encourage you with that. This is where we find ourselves in continuing. we continuing by remembering what God has brought us through, brought us to. We remember by, by focusing on the word, remembering how good the scriptures are, that they are God-breathed, that they are sufficient for our lives. We remember and continue on in these things. And, and as we live in a culture where truth seems to become fluid every single day, let us not let go of the fixed truth we have in the scriptures. Right? This is one thing I love that we know about the scriptures. And this is what Matt Chandler said. He says that that. Truth is not inside of you and fluid. The truth is outside of you and it's fixed and that is the word of God. And when we focus on those things, we begin to continue. We need to not, not leave the, the very word of God that allows us to see God himself because we see in the scriptures that, that the scripture is sharper than any two-edged sword separating bone from marrow. We, we see the glory of Jesus in it all and it's not a suggestion for your walk with Christ. It is a mandate for how we live our lives. It's a demand. It's not saying there's no place to wrestle for these things. It's not saying that there's, there's no place to doubt what God says. But he's saying, dig into the word and I will show you 
why I say it, why I do what I do, why I'm calling believers to continue on in holiness and righteousness. Because Paul's going back and saying, look, the scripture is, hold, is held here, but we look and saying that you have followed my teaching because it points to Jesus, and my conduct and my aim in life because it points to Jesus, and everything I do points to Jesus. Now, church, I'm going to ask you, is what your life entails point to Jesus? Does your heart point to Jesus? Does your actions and the words that come out of your mouth point to Jesus? Does your conduct point to Jesus? What are you living for? Does that point to Jesus? Does your aim in life, does your faith point to Jesus? Does it point to yourself? Does it point about the things that you think you've done? Does it point to your self-righteousness and your pride? Or does it point to Jesus? Does it come to a place where we realize that we can't do anything outside of Jesus? And so church, we have to continue well. have to remember from where and through what and to what God has brought us to. We have to continue the godly life with his word as our God. We are bound in Christ. Thank God we are bound in Christ. Thank God that we have the ability to continue. Thank God that we have the ability to see the glory of Jesus in every place that we watch. That is our mission and that is our mandate. That is what God has called us to. And so we continue on and we continue on together and we continue on through Christ.